Hey, listen. Cheers. It's great to see you again, Cobb. Awesome to see you, Seaman O'Fell. Why don't you introduce yourself to these people, some that won't be watching, but maybe are just listening. Right. right. And introduce them and let them know who you are. Uh, my name's David Bruce Lee. I'm from Clearfield, Pennsylvania, uh, where I was born and raised. Um, currently live in Rochester, New Hampshire, uh, working for a, a company that uh, deals with uh, supporting the government's maintenance of the submarine fleet. How'd you get into that? Uh, pure accident. Uh, so I had retired in, uh, from the Navy as a master chief in 2006 and, uh, went to work for a company, um, a private company, Sonalist in uh, Waterford, Connecticut and developing, uh, trainers and curriculum for the submarine fleet. Yeah. That sounds. And did some really good work. I had an incredible group of people around me, uh, very fortunate to have those people right off the get-go coming out of the Navy. Chip Dye, uh, former officer, uh, navigator type guy, hired me. Uh, and I worked with really incredible people. Uh, Chip Dye, Bob Banker, Bill Thorne, John Demline, uh, Leanne Marieski, Ethan Bean, uh, Tom uh, Malone, and the list go. Uh, uh, you're a brave man. Yeah, you're just, trying. You know, I was... You know, and, and Lauren Atkinson, Al Atkinson's daughter. I've met. Right? I met right? Al, the Al legendary the Al. Le he's a legend. And, uh, I met him at the DCOM from Memphis. Yeah. So uh, Ron Sterling at Sonal. So we, we we had these really good teams. Louise Entor down in Virginia Beach. And we worked, uh, some of us worked in teams, and then we would fly down to Virginia Beach and work teams, made, uh, developing curriculum for different uh, sub-school curriculums. Uh, so let's back up a little bit more because that stuff is interesting. And uh, some folks are like, okay, so what, uh, how's that dovetail back into, you know, the data center side of what we do. And, and I want to connect a few dots sure. because <clears throat> for those that are listening that have met me, uh, I've been in this space since I got out of the military and, um, and I've been able to really just, there's no limit to what you're capable of doing in this industry. Um, you don't even have to be the smartest, clearly, or the best, clearly. Uh, fastest, strong, you know, none of those things apply like normally do as you're growing up and learning sure. new things. Um, what What is really the most beneficial to us in this space is your ability to reinvent yourself and like how, how hard are you willing to work? And those are things that I learned um, in my use to life, right? And, and for those that are listening, um, I didn't even know your first name was David. Yeah. I've only known you as the Bruce Lee. You were my <laughs> chief Lee. That was, um, the mercenary and missionary that was responsible for my career. Uh -huh. And without you, I wouldn't be who I am today. The to blame for that. Huh? Listen, between, you know, I, I have a very, you know, not a lot of people have a list of like the heroes they grew up with and shit. I have a, a pretty amazing father and some brothers that are just incredibly talented but I fell into the military backwards, right? And I mean, I knew I was going in. I just, the way I was going in was not the way it was designed for me to go in as I enlisted. And and I just kept getting lucky along the way. Like I ended up rolling into the yeah. right place, right time, you know, right schooling, right sure. classes, got, yeah. you know. And um, I ended up on this submarine with this, this um, chief that was scary as fuck. <laughs> and uh, you weren't sure if he was ready to uh, reinvent you as a human being. Or, you know, like you had the right 
method of approach to know when to, when to push and when to pull, so to speak. And I learned a lot, you know, from you. I don't know if you, right. I don't think that you probably even remembered that or accounted for that. Cause I was just another dopey sailor that showed up and you had <laughs> yeah, to fucking was, babysit. But it, it was, um, I don't even remember you coming aboard to tell you the truth. I do remember. I was telling I remember some of the team. Too. Yeah, I, I remember telling, like, just go this way. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I was telling some of the team last night, uh, about, I can't physically, you know, I, I can't remember you? one particular instance where I touched you on the forehead and said, Hey dummy, you know, oh, this, we, we've got to go. You've got to go. Don't do that anymore. Do you remember grabbing me by the neck one time and saying, you're coming to my house this, this Thursday for a home cooked Like you're coming and sitting at the table like a child. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kathy and I did that a lot. We, uh, my wife, Kathy, um, uh, you know, we sort of treated the navigation division as a uh, part of the family, you know, we always wanted to make sure that they had what they needed to succeed, you know, and then Kathy loved to hear the stories of who they sure. were. And, you know, there was, there was, you know, Richie Kenderman and, uh, Lenny LaForest and, yeah, man. uh, Reese. Yeah. Reese, Eric, Eric Reese. Reese still keep in touch with Eric He's uh, dead. off and on. Yeah. Yeah. One he's, of the most intense workers I've ever been around. He's very intense and he's just well, equally intense him. on a snowboard on the slopes. I think you remember he blew his knee out and wouldn't, guy. wouldn't, uh, stop coming into work and no governor, and just him. no governor. And there's no filter on him either. So, but he's, I um, loved his passion. Yeah. He was a very passionate. He was a good, he was a good quartermaster. He knew yeah. how to, he knew how to navigate. So, so listen, so for those listening, like <clears throat> you were my chief when I got to a submarine, you, you, how many submarines were you on in your time? Seven. And you made it to which rank again? Master chief. And, uh, you know, less than 1% of the Navy makes master chief. The master chiefs control the Navy. You know, they control 85% of the, the fleet, you know, by... Oh, they control the horizontal and vertical, that's for sure. Uh-huh. And, and I imagine when you guys are going, like you were, like, I doubt that you uh, were paying attention to the ripple effects of everything that you guys were just kind of blown in and out of, but... I uh, didn't have time. Yeah, how yeah. could you, right? No, you we were trying to get a ship out of a ship. Yeah. You're trying to... I got to the Memphis... When it was just kidding, ready to come out of dry dock. So, but that being said is I wanted to pause there because I wanted people to understand the context and how we knew each other and, and, and whether or not, you know, people are listening, this podcast was designed to get to the fleet, so to speak, to get to the military bases. And, and, and it was designed to allow more people to understand the industry more, but at the same time, it was to highlight and give a voice to, you know, leaders uh, industry leaders first and originally that can come in and talk about the evolution uh, of our industry so that we can read the tea leaves with them and try to understand where the puck is going. Right on. But I've learned that there's a lot of industry leaders that are also veterans in the military. So I get to kind of, sometimes I only focus on industry veterans and sometimes I get to focus on folks that played on both sides of the ball. And sometimes it's just the veterans. In this case, you're here because I asked you months ago to come be a part of this podcast because as I grew my career, you know, I lean heavy on those mentors that I have that are mentoring me that don't even know it. There are people that are influencing others and don't even know it. Right. And you were definitely having an impact on me that didn't know about it until later on when I'd start getting in trouble, then you knew about it. Then that's the, the wrong attention I was getting. Your, your approach to people sometimes left a lot to be desired, <laughs> Kirk, you know, but you, know, you just don't go up and smack somebody alongside the head. I, uh, I'm learning this. Kirk. <laughs> I'm a victim of poor leadership, I think. Can't we agree? So my, my thing is this. 
I sat and got to watch, I had a front row seat at some of the greatest leaders that, you know, I mean, sure. you learn just as much from bad leaders as you do good ones. So it's not like everyone on that ship walked on water, but I got to see what a good leader looked like and a bad one. And, and that dovetails back into what I'm doing today with my own career and how that, how that really defined the landscape of what I do. Cause people ask me all the time, like no one kind of knows my story and that's not, that's not by accident. I haven't done podcasts to talk about my deep dive yet. Cause my shit, that soup's not done cooking, but for you, they're on subs, seven boats. You've been a command master chief multiple times, a cob you've got rank. There's no higher rank. I want to start at the beginning, right? So we're going to get to the good shit and people know, like last night when you were at dinner with, you know, a dozen of my people, you were talking and I didn't have to solicit any of those things, but you were just like this pinata that, you know, we kept hitting with more brown water <laughs> I, and, and yeah, fucking, I, uh, you know. And I don't know. I, I'll, I'll blame the Pappy Van Winkle, but I, uh, <laughs> you took it down. Yeah, yeah we put it down in that bottle last night. Uh, no, we. Um, but you. it was not, I it was not just me. Trust me. It was. Anthony was in on it and, you know, he said, I always the whole use crew. Anthony as my excuse. He's, uh, most things I do wrong. And, and Sam and John. Yeah. 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 They're good for taking the heat. But I'll tell you, um, I had a really good childhood. You grew up Great. where? Clearfield, Pennsylvania. But that's, uh, outside. Is that more on the Western? Right smack dab in the middle of the state, Clearfield County. Close to like uh, Penn State? Yeah. 60, 70 miles from Penn State, uh, Commonwealth branch of Penn State's in Dubois, which is. 30 miles from Clearfield. How did you, so youngest, oldest, more brothers? Youngest, Bruce Caboose. So I'm uh, the last of six. Um, there was Asbury Wright Lee the fourth. There was uh, Robert E. Lee. No there shit. was uh, William F. Lee. There was George Bartram Lee. And then there was Sister Kathy. And uh, beautiful lady. And all the men are... Yeah, they were handsome studs. I don't know what happened to me. But, um, yeah, so Brother Barry, and they all begin with Bs, Barry, Bob, Bill, Barton, Bruce. So when I would call Dad, and I always called Dad every Sunday at like 2 o'clock in the afternoon, every, the boys had their time that they could call Dad. Yeah, you guys he had liked signed. Boys. Yeah, signed times. Yeah, yeah. And I'd always call him at 2 o'clock on Sundays. And he'd answer the phone, hello, Bob. I said, no, it's Bruce, Dad. Oh, darn it, Barry, Bob. <laughs> Bruce, you know, he'd go, and then we, of course, had insult to injury. We named the dog Buffy. So, you know, <laughs> another That's a lot of, a lot but, of work. Um, my brothers and sister, um, one brother preceded us uh, in death. George Bartram, Bart did, passed away about a year after my dad passed away. But, um, yeah, it was a great childhood. I, I was the, by the time I, I got into my childhood, I was the only one at home. Yeah. Oh, all the, the others had, were gone. They had all moved on to their careers. And it's a lot of extra attention. So I had, I had the opportunity to spend time with dad, a lot of time. With now dad. your dad was at World War II. So dad was a colonel in the 1st Armored Division, 191st Tank Battalion, a highly decorated gentleman. Uh, he was my hero and my mentor, too. You told me but, stories all about him. Yeah, was... he, uh, he would, we would, we were inseparable. And we had a camp out in Wolf Run, which is a little community outside of Clearfield. And he would, we'd go out there and work on the camp. All the kids did. I mean, they were, you know, as part of their Like a hunting childhood. ranch or something? Or? No, it wasn't a ranch. It was just a small camp in the middle of a tree stand with a field. Um, and we would go out there and we'd cut the grass or we'd work on the camp and just have fun. You know, good family fun. And I learned a lot from Dad. 
I still have, to this day, I have the toolbox that was my father's, an old metal blue toolbox. That when I open it, I, I can I can smell dead. You know, I, I yeah, I can see that you know the old wooden handled screwdrivers and the the original rules of uh, black electrical tape and the, he would put he was very itemized. He would put whatever screw he took off of something he'd put in like a little plastic container with a red lid and it was in the toolbox. You know, I still have that toolbox. I'm the opposite version of that. So, so but now that's cool that I'm, you have I am that. extremely dangerous with any tool, especially power tools. My you son are? David will tell you that for a fact. Uh, as a matter of fact, this coming weekend, he's going to be with us uh, and he's putting up a curtain rod because I told Kathy, I said, you don't want me putting up that curtain rod. I'll screw it up. Everywhere. What do masters know about doing shit yeah, right? anymore? You're just I'm, snapping fingers. I'm not a mechanical guy, right? Right, right. I'm not an engineer. Right. I, How long I, has it I, been since you had to use your hands for your job? You know what I'm saying? I mean, like you've been in the, you were 26 years and 10 months active duty. You said 26 so years, 10 months. Yeah. How long did it take to make chief? Uh, I made chief in eight years. Yeah, Jeez. Eight years. So listen. I was a rate grabber. <laughs> That's yeah. bananas. So, uh, so hold so on. So I we, came in the Navy. Hold on. No, you also went to like, so I know you and your old man were very close, and I know that he had a profound impact on you because mm -hmm. I know that when I would, you know, be serving with you, uh, you would share stories. You were the diving officer of the watch sometimes, right? So you would sit down and you would share shit and tell us things, and we learned a lot from that. For some reason, I thought your dad was like, did he work for Patton? Was he, he Battlefield well, he Commissioned? Didn't. No, he wasn't Battlefield Commissioned. I he thought was, he was for some reason. He earned his commission as a first lieutenant uh, while he was going to the University of Pennsylvania, the Wharton School of Business. Uh, he was a banker, uh, but uh, and then was stationed in Kentucky. Uh, How long was he in for if he was a colonel then? Uh, I want to say he was probably uh, 14, 15 years. Gotcha. You know. but, but, so there's some nuance there too. So, he, you know, he was first lieutenant down in Kentucky. War breaks out. Um and he's charged with taking a motorcade of armored vehicles up to, I think, uh, New York Harbor, Philadelphia Harbor. Yeah, to get on the boats and ship And load them up and then made the trip up to Halifax. Um, and he was in Halifax when the ammo ship blew up. Oh, really? Uh, it was, that's an interesting story if you ever read it. And then I've convoys, heard it yeah, convoys left Halifax, went out, and as they left Halifax and started across the North Atlantic, the German U-boats. Yeah, the Wolfpack. Wolfpack. We're waiting, and they were picking the ships off. Yeah. And Dad said, you know, you see a ship get hit, and they're running dark, and a darkened ship. The, the view boats would track them during the day, and and then at hunt night, them and, night. and hunt them at night. So, uh, hence the term Wolfpack. So, the amazing stories of Dad landing in North Africa. They went ashore in Iran, North Africa, and uh, fought across North Africa, where Dad uh, earned a silver star. Um, the exact details of that I'm not going to get into, but it was a, a pretty. They don't give those away. No, it, it was a pretty intense firefight mm -hmm. and uh, battle, tank battle. And he saved a couple lives. You know, and, uh, sure. The man was, I never saw dad get upset. I never saw him raise his voice. I never saw him uh, get angry. Interesting. Yeah, and I what I learned from Dad growing up a lot of you know spending all that time with him was how important it is to treat other people, right? 
people, there are people's success. Your your success is my success, right? Dad used to tell me, you, you can't think about the things you haven't done, but building what you know and do what you can. So don't, you know, don't waste your energy. How did you, uh, mm -hmm. listen, because I have a good, I got a good gazillion questions, because when sure. I knew you last, last time I saw you, you were in khakis and I didn't have the privilege of asking you a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. And by the way, before we, you can I ask want, me questions. Uh, I think. Or were you just my, too afraid to approach me? You were. Uh, <laughs> it's not that intimidating. Um, was there a chief other than Ace Tufu bigger than you on that ship at that time? That people with well, Cold Acres could fuck your life up when you're nothing like me. Ace so. Tufu was he was a mentor to me. Uh, that guy, he was like a chief of his tribe or something. Yeah, yeah, like he was a Samoan. He is a Samoan. He's I'm on Facebook with him and linked up LinkedIn and. I and I don't talk to him, but um, he was uh, the he was, he was the he cop. Was impressive. He was impressive. He was a cop. Yeah, he was, was he a cop good? on. He was a cop on Omaha, I think, and then came to the Memphis. Uh, when the cop that was there, when I got there, uh, Ron O'Donnell, I think, uh, retired. It was interesting because <clears throat> I kind of got the sense that he was just counting the days to his retirement when I was there, right? Because who Ace? Yeah, he was pretty chill, right? <clears throat> yeah, he was. He was a good cop. Oh, I had no problem at all with him. Uh, and then we had, you know, guys like Bob Boyd and Gordy Weaver, um, Mike Luther. Yeah, yeah, Master Chief Luther. But there was, there was, a, and Chevy Brown, you know. But there, he hated me. So. <laughs> well, I, hate's a strong word, but there was, there was a, a lot of synergy in that Chiefs course. There was good and bad, you know. And I won't say who was the bad, and I won't say who was the good. But we all worked together to a common goal, and that was to train that submarine crew to come out overall and not get us killed, right? Which you could have some fatal failure coming out of a shipyard period. Doesn't that, take much. You don't, you know, but you got to be trained, right? Remember all the remember all the practice we did, the trainers, the oh, damage yeah. control Listen, trainers, and then those remember it all span trainers. You'd go down to the simulated piloting and navigation trainers, and I'd drag you guys down to Groton, and I'd ram it into your head, try to get it through your 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 gray matter of. Why is it important to do what we're doing and do it right the first time? And, training and was the, the it, I, I learned so much about the emphasis that was placed on training from that, right? But first and foremost, this, this is for your old man. For my dad. Right. To the colonel. Oh, that's dangerous. Oh, that's good. So I know that you said you don't like tequila. I don't like tequila. But, but that doesn't really drink like tequila. That's particularly good. It almost drinks like a rum. But I felt like if we were going to try that for the first time, <clears throat> you couldn't do it after you drink, Pappy. It no, has no. to be first. No, no, no. So, um, but I need sea stories before we crack that bottle. So, right. So you got into the Navy and that, you know, the genesis well, of this podcast is I'm explaining how, like you, my father has had a profound impact on me. He was, mm -hmm. uh, he won, uh, he turned 18 in Vietnam, I think loading bombs on yeah, F4s, right, right. retired as a Lieutenant Colonel and my brothers, all, every man in my lineage military, but when I got to the military, I was looking for what I have grown up with, which was leadership that radiated. And you can tell because you have certain people in khakis that could create an orbit around themselves. Mm. And I remember getting to the boat. And that was one of the cool things about being on a submarine is like, sometimes I could get great advice from people that weren't my chiefs or, you know, different departments and like, not as much on the department head level, but like, it seemed like on the enlisted side, they all gave a fuck about everybody, right? So you could get... I mean, I had great coaching and mentorship from, he probably wouldn't remember me, but Master Chief Luther a few times would sit down and talk to me about things. And I'd be like, man, this is a privilege. He's yeah. a good boy. He's a great man. 
Yep. Well, he was also like just a very intentional and very deliberate person. And that's how you become a master chief, I'm guessing. But he was everything that I expected, right? And there were some that were and some that weren't. And you could kind of see the insecurities in some of those. But but when you got into the Navy, I want to hear about like, what was the genesis of why when your dad was Army, why did you go Navy? Did you have any other brothers that were military or sure, sisters? Sure. And then like, who was your chief Lee? Who was, who was your, I had a chief Lee. You're sitting right here right now. I never thought when you met me, I probably was insignificant enough for whatever. And I never thought in a million years I'd be sitting across the table from you now, but I've taken so much away from you that last night, as you're talking to my team, they all like in formation, look over because of what's falling out of your mouth are things that fall out of my mouth. And I'm like, now you understand where I get it. So <laughs> that, it was an honor to do that last night. Um, yeah. When I started speaking to your, your team last night, I didn't have any particular trend of thought. I was just, but you taught me I that was radiating, you know, and it's I, it passion, just, but I am passionate about what I've done. I'm passionate about leadership. I'm passionate about mentorship. And I'm certainly intrigued and impressed with what you've put together out here with Overwatch and the team that you've built. You should be very proud. And rightfully so. The Listen, team is, um, it takes a tribe to make a team, you know, and the, uh, I just, I, I thank you for letting me talk to the, the, the team last night. But That was priceless. You kept uh, me. I didn't even have to ask. Anyways, yeah. Uh I have a tendency to do that. It's a Master Chief thing. Dad, you're talking too much. So right, No, it's fucking it. awesome, man. Listen, my team needed so, that, and they mm -hmm. loved it, and it's super exciting. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm inspired, I, and when you do that, it's infectious to me. So I, I need You know, it. I'm sitting there looking at those guys. You know, you got retired Marines. You've got you know, some pretty key people in the CFO. Army officers. You know, Army officers. Navy officers. Yeah, Navy. And the Endless finan thing. You know, finance team, the recruiting team, the, the girls that— help you with keeping you on track and, and, and running the show. I mean, it, it really is a cohesive unit and that's, that's important. And you need to keep that intact, right? No matter what you do going forward, you need to keep that team intact. So, you know, I, what drove me to go to the Navy? Well, I, I think part of it was academics. Uh, I wasn't doing too good in college and I needed to find a purpose. I needed, I knew, I was on the path of self-destruction. I needed to figure out how to get myself better. And I talked to dad, you know, and he said, have you thought about going into the military? Go down and talk to Dave Boyce. And uh, Dave was a master chief boiler tech and actually enlisted a bunch of the guys and girls that I grew up with, the chapel gang. Was he we, we, retired or something? He was, no, he was a recruiter. So he, okay. he, he was a Navy recruiter in Dubois at the time. So, but he lived in the neighborhood. He lived right around the corner from where we would hang out. Uh, we, the, where we hung out in Clearfield was an old chapel, and we were called the Chapel Gang. And there was, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 of us. And we still, to this day, get together. In, and he recruited most of you? Well, he recruited four or five of us, yeah. Uh, Donna Butler. Everyone in the Navy. Dean Aldemus, BJ, Brad Bumgarner, uh, myself. Uh, I'm probably forgetting a few somewhere along the line. I think Dean's brother. Joe went in the Navy. He was a yeoman, I believe. Uh, so, yeah, we, um, uh, BJ was in nuke power. Dean was nuke power. BJ was on submarines. Dean was on surface ships. Uh, oh, Greg Bo Sr., Bo, went in. He was a, a operations specialist, a lot like what a quartermaster is. So, um, I did. I went in and talked to Boise, and he said, well, what, what do you want to do? So, 
I don't know. I just I want to I want to be on a big ship. I want to na- I, I want to navigate a big ship, Dave. Why didn't Why didn't you go like surface pukes and all that stuff? How do you get on a submarine? I didn't. Well, okay. So bear with me for a minute. So took the ASVAB. Didn't score very high in the ASVAB. Again, academics comes back to bite me in the ass. You know, and uh, I just didn't apply myself. You know, I. How old were you? I was not a I was not a good mathematician. I was good in English. I was good in history. I was good with uh, I was good in geometry. Um, ironically, that's what navigation is. It's geometry, right? But um, so if finally we figure out that okay, you're going to go be a quartermaster. Dave said, "I want you're going to be designated." And he told you to go quartermaster something before you go. You're not going in as a non designated. Seaman recruit, not happening. So <clears throat> went to MEPS in Pittsburgh. I uh, ended up down in Orlando in boot camp. I uh, came out of boot camp. Yeah, it was like going to a spa. Boot camp in Orlando. Come on, are you kidding me? That's crazy. Um, <clears throat> I could have gone to Great Mistakes, Great Lakes, but I didn't. Uh, That's your only I, option. With the luck of the draw, I guess, to get down to Orlando, right? But it was it was a boot camp. You know, It taught you the P's and Q's of being a sailor. And that's, but to me, it came a little easy because I think I was a little older than most of the guys. What were that you, were in my 18, company. 19, 20? No, no, I was uh, 20, 21. So you're already 20, able to yeah. drink in your yeah, Navy. Yeah. I got you. So uh made it through boot camp, look at these split. Uh, walked across uh, Grinder to Naval Training Center, Orlando, went to Quartermaster A School. And I became friends with uh, a fine gentleman who eventually became a commander in the Navy, uh, Tom Shear from Traverse City, Michigan. And uh, we hit it right off. We were like Pen- Pennsylvania, Michigan guy or just good yeah, friends? No, huh? we were just, we've clicked. We, I mean, our personalities, we like the same things. We like to get out and have fun. Uh, and, and we... For whatever reason, we were like the popular guys inside of the barracks. You know, everybody wanted to hang. <clears throat> Anyways, um, one day in class, uh, Tom was sitting next to me, and as the story goes, and he may not remember it this way, but I sure as hell remember it, that uh, we had two uh, instructors, uh, Chief Love Day, I think, is Chief Love, and then uh, Chief uh, Petty Officer Fuller. One was a Coast Guard, and the other one was a submarine quartermaster off the Grayback. Which is like the diesel boat. Oh, wow. Right? So uh, I think Fuller turned around one day in front of the classroom and said, who wants to go into the submarine fleet? And uh, honest to God, I don't remember raising my hand, but I think Tom probably took my arm and put it up in the air. And I looked over, and he has his hand up in the air, too. And he goes, okay, you two guys come with me. Interesting. So we went out and uh, talked to, I don't know if it was a psychologist or whatever, a couple of days later. Makes sense. Are you guys and, crazy? <laughs> are you guys not? So do you have Do you have a love of your mother? Do you have, you know, so forth and so on. Just oh. stupid. So are you claustrophobic? Oh, for sure. So uh, soon after that, we were on our way to Groton, Connecticut for submarine, school? submarine quartermaster school and sub-school. How long was all that stuff? Well, at the time, I mean, it was, uh, I think we were probably in Groton for about 12 weeks. And then... 10 did, weeks, maybe. And then where did you go? So, sub-school itself was like six weeks long. And you learned every hall mechanical and electrical system plus primary, secondary, plant, 
um, and um, just the basics, you know, the electric plant. And so we we continued our friendship all the way. Tom got orders to the USS Philadelphia, SSN 691, and I got orders. No, not a 691, not 691. Uh, USS Philadelphia, whatever whole number it was. Was it a 688 class? Yeah, 688. Um, I got them all confused at this point. And then um, I got orders to the USS James Monroe. What is that? Well, it's a boomer. Uh, some sub submarine missile. So you were it's a, a boomer guy boat. too? Right? I was a boomer guy, yeah. And so I found Was that my, cool? That was awesome. That was that was one of the best boats I've ever been on. Hold on, but your first boat was a boomer out of what, Kings Bay? Nope. Uh, the It was the crew's home port. Was Charleston, South Carolina, but Shut the boat, up. but the boat was in Holy Lock, Scotland. Shut up. So yeah, that had been the best boat ever. So we would have to pack up these cruise boxes every other patrol cycle, fly them over to Holy Lock. The crew would fly over to Holy Lock, and then we would unload the cruise boxes, swap out with the blue crew. I was on the gold crew. Gold crew loads up. The blue crew would load up the cruise boxes, put them back on an airplane, and they would fly home. And then we'd go through a thirty-day refit period, and then we'd get underway. And we were, and it was you know, you'd go out and you just disappear. But every time they would pop back up, it'd go right back to Holy Lock. It wouldn't go back to Charleston. Not always. I mean, sometimes it would have to go back to Charleston because uh, it had to go down to the undersea range to shoot yeah, yeah. certifications. Is stuff. there a Charleston? Are there submarines in Charleston now? No. Okay. There is a there is a new training platform. Oh, uh, prototype. Prototype there, which my uh, nephew's son, Hunter, is going through right now as a nuke, doing quite well from what I understand. So, uh, yeah, the Charleston base shut down years and years ago. Such an awesome town, though. Oh, it is. Beautiful town. So by that time, by the time I got um, onto the James Monroe, I had, Kathy and I had gotten married uh, in 1981. Shoot me, Kathy, if I'm wrong, but yeah. So here we are, forty-three years later, still loving each other and and uh, digging every minute of it. That's pretty amazing, so, man. So James Monroe was my first boat. Uh, you know, I'm Seaman Lee, screaming Seaman Lee on the James Monroe. Learned how to navigate. Really learned how to navigate. And you guys at didn't the time, have all the technology yeah, back then. You guys had no. Have... At the time, I had a chief petty officer by the name of David Weiss. Weiss. And, and David was my chief Lee. Was he good? Oh, okay. He was very good. Uh, he wasn't. He wasn't a screamer. He was a very gentleman, very Christian man. And uh, I learned he was a fast attack sailor all of his years before. He had been on uh, six thirty. He had been on Sea Wolf. He had been on some other spec op boats. Oh wow! Not not the current SSN twenty one Sea Wolf. He had been on. He was on Parchy. Yeah, he was. So uh, he took me under his wing, mentored me through my first uh, four years in the. Boomer Navy, and taught me the ropes. And I really, I you know, I put him on a pedestal because he he cared. Uh, and that's where that's where the the pass of my father and David Weiss intersect. Because what I learned from Dad growing up was it's it's about how you treat people, right? It's not by blunt blunt force. It is by you. You don't demand respect; you earn it. But you, you better treat people the way you want to be treated. Sure. Right? And Dad was a very loving father, uh, pillar of the community, a very Christian man, lay leader of the Methodist Church. 
uh, just such a, a huge figure in my in my life. Mm-hmm. Well, David was that chief petty officer sure. who was my my mentor. Well, then uh, after James Monroe, I took orders to the USS Chicago. Oh, okay, SSN seven twenty one. Where was that out of Tim's boat? Oh yeah, right? yeah. He was a right. cob on. on uh, Can you believe that? What's the yeah. chances that you're right? a plank owner on the Chicago six and he degree, was a cob on? Yeah, six degrees of separation, right? And I forgot to tell him that when I initially hooked up with him on LinkedIn after watching his podcast here a couple of weeks ago, I said, "Hey, by the way, I forgot to tell you, I'm a plank owner on Chicago, and Kathy and I are going to the decommissioning in July. <laughs> so I hope to meet you out there." And he's like, "Holy crap! Where's the decom? <clears throat> uh, Puget. Okay, it's out at the Maritime Museum in Puget, Bremerton." Uh, so when I got to the Chicago SSN 721, it was being built. It had just been launched. It had just, matter of fact, the day I checked in. Where was it at? Newport News. It was a Newport News boat. Um, it had just gone down the ways. They had just launched it. But I will never, ever uh, have the privilege of serving with the Chiefs Corps like that again. You they were awesome. And the crew was awesome. They were, and when you go to a new con, pre a new construction submarine, they're picking the best of the best. And I felt fortunate to be asked to take orders. I was supposed to go. <laughs> so it, it's a tight community, right? I, I originally had orders to go to, I want to say, the Hammerhead. And there's another gentleman whose name will come up later in the podcast, I'm sure, Buster Parker, who was also quartermaster, uh, was supposed to go to another boat. And when I turned orders down to the Hammerhead to go to the Chicago, Buster ended up taking orders to go to the, the Hammerhead. And our pass crossed again years later, as in just this past couple years, where uh, he married uh, a former shipmate's ex-wife, Beverly. Uh, and she's a nurse, traveling nurse, and lived with us for several months while she worked at Portsmouth Hospital in New Hampshire. And Buster and I started talking and realized, holy crap, he ended up getting orders to, I want to say, the hammerhead. You took your Because order. I took my orders to the Chicago. Gotcha. So, small world. Small world. Six degrees of separation, as I say. Well, anyways, um, I had the fortunate uh, time on Chicago for three years. To serve with people like Mike Cranick and, and Mike Spies, and, uh, Bob Signs. What were the things that Chief you Sines. were learning at each one of these commands? Like in the first one, what was the, uh, I forget his name, Weiss? Is that Weiss. We, yeah, David so Weiss. So what did he, I know the things that I learned from you that I could codify with mm-hmm. ones, right? So were there things that you knew that you were collecting at that time? I don't think you realize it. You know, I, I, it, there were some moments that were penetrable uh, into my mind, into my gray matter, that... I specifically remember I shouldn't have done that. Or I want to make sure I do that again because it was the right thing, correct thing to do. And we had a really big success for whatever. Now, I'm talking in generalities here, right? Well, when I got to Chicago, uh, I had the great fortune of working with Bob Sines, Senior Chief Sines. Bigger than life. uh, And Bert Hoyt, the cob. Were you a uh, Turns out to be his brother-in-law. Huh? I was a... Senior NCO, probably. I was first class by that time. Okay. I, I made second class, and I made first, and then I made chief later on. But it, you make chief I made, in Chicago? No, no, I made chief on Rickover. Oh, wow. So, uh, again, another 
Did you have any shore duties changing. then? You went from sea duty to sea duty? Sea duty to sea duty, yeah, back-to-back sea duties. Um, Why was that? By choice. Okay. You just you enjoyed know? being a sea, you yeah, to be yeah, a sailor. Yeah. Being on a, f- once I got a taste of fast attack submarine life, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Interesting. And I didn't want to go back to a boomer. Cadillacs, man, those things were beautiful. But fast attacks were, they were small, they were fast, they were maneuverable. Tighter crew. Uh, right? Tighter crew. Definitely, because it's only one crew. Yeah. And uh, I took a lot of crap for wearing a boomer pin, yeah, yeah. you know, the strategic patrol pin. As, as we called have. it, as we called it, the strategic detergent patrol pin, because yeah. all you're basically doing when you're underway is clean. Yeah. Uh, it took a lot to keep those old girls uh, clean, a lot of hydraulic leaks and stuff. But Really? Yeah. Um, but I had Bob Signs to this day, he and I keep in touch. He and Carol, his wife, have been up to the house in New Hampshire to visit. Uh, they live out in Arizona now. They had lived here in Texas until not too long ago. But um, just the, the way Bob navigated and the way Bob spoke and the respect that he had from the crew, uh, he was a big man. I mean, but he was he was spot on. And, and you didn't cross his path. Did you have along the way these first two subs? Did you have anybody that uh... – what made you want to stay in? Like, was there? Uh, I, I think it, I had found my niche. I had found where I wanted to be. You know, Dad was very proud of me. Uh, the family was very proud of me. And Kathy liked it. She was a wonderful Navy wife. I just, there is a lot to be said who has the, the toughest job in the Navy, and it's not the sailor. The spouse. It's the spouse. It's the wife. She raised three kids. Sure. You know, with, without any of my help. And it was, you know, I did what I could do whenever I was there and in port. But, did, you know, did you, you mean, like get in the way. Yeah. <laughs> you, Fuck up you routines. End up, yeah, you end, <laughs> yeah. We had a lot of fun when I was on the James Monroe. Uh, we had a very dedicated schedule. You know, I knew when I was going to be in port. I knew when I was going to be at sea. Kathy knew when I was going to be at sea. Makes it easier. When I was going to be at port. So, um, and we didn't have children at the time. Right. But what we would, oh, the, the, the fun we had over in the Isle of Palms in Charleston, going to the beach, we'd go to the beach early in the morning during off crew. We'd go to the beach early in the morning and spend all day on the beach, go to the wind jammer, the bar right there behind the beach. And we've golden tans, yeah. you know, beautiful. And we had fun. We were, you know, ah, a little two bedroom apartment, apartment in Goose Creek, South Carolina, young newlyweds, not much furniture, but whole lot of love and a whole lot of fun. And, uh, and a cool job on a boat. Yeah. And, like you, and you were yeah. on your second boat and, by then, it sounds like. And you no, well, yeah. Away. Well, that was on the James and Road days. But, you know, we oh, that's we we solidified our our place in the Navy by by that first, the end of the first tour. We knew. So you knew. We knew where, where we were going next. And that was always the discussion, you know, when it came time for orders. Where are we going next? Where do you want to go? Is that exciting? <clears throat> yeah. It was always... Uh, Did you guys want to send these coasts? Yeah, I think we had pretty much decided that we're we're going to stay East Coast, unless the opportunity came along to go to Pearl. But our thought was, once you get to Pearl, like Tim did, Tim Kearns did. You yeah, know, yeah, he was there twenty years. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, there's a lot of a lot of the sailors that I know did that. They went out there and spent a lot of time. Uh, cheers Salute. to the pappy. 
So Does the, it make it smoother than that? No, oh, it doesn't get any better than that. So uh, the Chicago days went by in a blur, but uh, being on the new con boat, taking it out on sea trials, having a couple scary experiences. Uh, we had a three-inch launcher accident where we vented inboard uh, a pyro, caused Ooh. a lot of water to come in through the three-inch launcher and a lot of smoke. That was exciting. There's a funny story with that. Mike Cranick, uh, one of my best friends, uh, and we were going to get together into decommissioning in a couple months, was uh, our racks were together, our bunks were in aft cruise berthing just forward of where the three-inch launcher was. And uh, we had just come off watch. It was during sea trials, you worked a different cycle. You run on and off. You're constantly changing, making sure people got rest. You had people on the sound-powered phones doing leak checks and making sure everything was fine, following the test plan for underway uh, test trials. I did that when we did the C-trials. Memphis Odyssey trials. Right, right, same thing. I did it. Remember Mike Luther being up on the in the con with the headphones? He was the trial coordinator. He ran the tempo gotcha. of the trials. Well, we did the same thing on Chicago, right? Anyways, Mike and I were getting ready to bunk down, He uh, and you had these pegs where you hung up your pants, your poopy suits, or whatever, you know. At the time, we were wearing dungarees. Hmm. And I want to say Admiral DeMars was on the boat at the time for the sea trials. He was uh, basically 08, NAFC 08. He was reactors. Mm-hmm. He was the guy. And uh, so the crew was all spiffied up. The boat was spiffied up. You know, we were looking sharp. And Mike and I got in our bunks, and we hear the boom of the three-inch launcher thud, and then we hear... Uh, Senior Chief Vanderhoof coming out of the three-inch launcher space going, oh, that smarts, that hurts. And what it was, he was getting hit with hot water from the pyro coming in through the three-inch launcher. There was a good volume of water uh, because what had happened is the pyro activated inside. And I'm pretty sure Bob Sines will correct me whenever he talks to me the next time, but I may have some of this wrong. But it, it caused green, I think it was a green pyro, caused the green smoke to come in, and it actually blew the seals out of the three-inch launcher, so water and smoke was venting inboard. So interesting. Yeah, the boat's now starting to go up. But anyways, Mike and I are trying to get dressed to get our. You know, now we're putting on our emergency air breathing mask, and the boat's on an angle. And I realize at some point I no that pants. I can't get my pants on up above my knees, my thighs, because Mike's a little bit smaller than me, right? And I he looks at me, and I look at him, and he he has my pants, and they're like halfway up around his his chest, you know, you got my pants, man. <laughs> in the middle of a yeah, In the middle of a casualty. Yeah. So we, um, both of us went our separate directions coming off that casualty. I went up to the control room and I think he went in towards the mess decks or maybe radio. But yeah, that's, those kinds of things happen all the time. Not all the time, but they happen. And when they happen, you know, that training that we just talked about that I tried to ram in through your guys' head why it was important to go train and train and train. Sure. Train until you puke and then train some more, right? Which I'm a big fan of today. Was because you never know what's Saves lives, right. When you, uh, did you ever do shorty? I did. So after the Chicago, I went to the Rickover. Um, That's not 709. And uh, Rickover was a hot runner. I'm trying to explain a hot runner to Mac last night, to Tim last night. night, yeah. And he goes, what's a hot runner? I said, you are. I said, you are a Marine. I said, it's a really, really close, cohesive 
crew that drives that warship, you know, makes that warship a weapon, you know. And Rickover was that. She was a spec op boat. I mean, she did some really cool stuff. And I was another fantastic crew. What was this station out of? Norfolk. Okay. And um, I had a— What rank were you— so I was uh, first class. And you and made chief on Soon the after that, I made chief. They let you stay there when you make chief? Or they yep. make you? Yep. Oh, I thought they made you no. leave. No, I stayed there. I stayed there for uh, three deployments. Like what kind? Like med runs? Or uh, one ice med run, which I won't get into. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. There's some stuff. Because it was a Rickover, got it. And then uh, some what we called Western Atlantic deployments, which I won't talk about either. So, okay. But gotcha. we we did some really good cool stuff. Cool stuff uh, that really impacted national security. I mean, it was front up the, why the fast attack submarines are out there doing yeah. what they do. Right? Was uh, mm-hmm. was which was your favorite boat? Was it the Rickover, or was the one uh, that you no, were no, the co- you've no, been on seven I, boats, right? Well, so I'm kind of biased because right? you were a cob on that. Because I was chief of the boat on Albuquerque, and it's good to be king. Yeah. That that was the pinnacle of my career, right? The cob, being the cob, the three years, three and a half years that I was cob on that boat, best three, three and a half years of my life. Hardest, hardest, assemblist. No stretch of the imagination. The hardest, humbling, very humbling. Uh, but <clears throat> what I, you know, I, I had to think about the crew. You know, the chief of the boat is in charge of well, you know, the health and welfare of the, the ship's crew, not just. The enlisted men, but the officers as well. So there's a triumvirate on the boat. There's the CO, the commanding officer. There's the executive officer, XO, and there's the chief of the boat, the COB. And the, those three, along with the department chiefs, run that boat. They set the tempo. They set the schedule. But you got to understand the tools in your toolbox. And those were the sailors, Right. True, some of it was the skills that I had garnered all the way up through it as a leader. But I had a particular way of knowing a sailor that could do the job that I needed him to do, even if he he, he didn't know he was going to be the guy. He may not. He may have thought, "I don't have the skill set to go do what the cobs asked me to do." Yeah, you do. And you're gonna. I'm going to put you with a mentor. I'm going to put you with a chief. I'm going to put you with an officer. And you guys are going to figure it out, but I know you can do this, right? So you empower you know, when you want to empower a sailor to go do something like that, and it turns out really, really well. And remember, you got a chance to do some course correction on the way. If it if it looks like it's going south, you can change it, right, to make it better. That made a hell of a difference on that boat across the board in every department, every division. The chiefs on that boat were. The best. What What do you think? What made them the best? What allowed them to to be able to be the best? I think it was the you know common knowledge of what we wanted to get done. We would meet as chief quarters, and we'd have these talks. Where do we want to go? What do we want to get done? How do we want to accomplish it? And I had guys like Tom Higgins, Senior Chief Higgins, who I trained as the chief of the boat. And he went to the Minneapolis-St. Paul and unfortunately was killed underway. Got washed overboard really? during, during uh, underway. Uh, but 
he was my navigation operations department singer chief. I had uh, Mark Care, Master Chief Care, my EDMC, Engineering Department Master Chief, one of the best human beings on the face of the planet, salt of the earth. And then his relief, Bill Fowler, same way. Uh, I had some of uh, the torpedo men chiefs. I had just out of the weapons department. So you had great, Ressler, but you, really if you had these stuff. great subject matter experts, what made them feel safe or comfortable to go do the things that allowed them to, to be great? Does it, is it the, is it, they had the, uh, the oh, Cobb block and tackle for me, the CO or the XO? And no, had trust it, I mean, it's a culmination of their experiences leading up to being on the boat, getting to the boat. When you, when you take a boat into overhaul, you're going to rip that boat apart. You're going to you're going to take it down to to bare deck. The equipment's coming off, and you're going to have to keep the crew crew trained. Again, what goes back to training, right? So the chief petty officers and the senior enlisted guys that were sent, and they were the senior enlisted folks, even the junior guys coming in, some of the best. They just they took the orders because they I think they knew it was going to be difficult. Um, and they wanted that challenge. But once you start cohesive, you know, you become a cohesive team and you start putting it together and figuring out what you got and how good you have it, now that just portends more. You just roll it forward. You just keep it going. Right? And we had some setbacks. We had some problems. We had to figure out what not to do. We had a, a two very good commanding officers, uh, Jerry Burroughs, Admiral Burroughs, and now Admiral Stuart Munch, who's uh, Sinkus Nav, you're basically forces Europe and Africa and um, joint forces in uh, Naples. And uh, they had a good wardroom, like guys like Mason Ward, who on Memphis with us, right? His caliber of officer, his caliber he was of fantastic. human being, yeah, were with us on the, on the Albuquerque. And then while we're in the yards, of course, 9-11 occurs. And oh, that changed right. the entire world. Right. What was it like being act? You what rank were you? Th you were the you were the cop during September 11th. Yeah. So I um, interesting. So I prior to getting to the the cop, I so you go back to did I ever go to shore duty? Yeah, I did. So I left Rick over. Oh, you that's, did three straight sea duties. Right. So let's walk this back. So I went three straight sea duties, and then I went to sub school, and I taught sub school. You did. Yeah. So you were a chief at sub-school when your first shore duty? That must have fucking been horrible to be a sub-school student under you. Well, well no, first it, I, was teaching, I was teaching uh, quartermaster school. Oh, I got quarter you. Quartermaster basic. Okay. And then- Well, uh, that's your passion. You love that stuff. Yeah, you yeah, can yeah. see that was probably not so bad. And uh, it was fun. It was good. But then uh, the Memphis, our prowlers of the deep, ran the submarine aground off the coast of Florida, remember? Yeah, that's before we and got there. I got short-cycled out of sub-school. Shut up. And so got you sent. Get I went down and relieved the assistant navigator that got fired on the Memphis. Holy, was that a cool thing to happen to you? No, it sucked because the crew was, yeah. it was cool to be picked to, hey, get the phone call from the detailer. Master Chief Shadow saying, hey, I need you to go do, I need, I need you. I, I, I'm not one to whine. I didn't go, me, 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 me. No, I don't want to go. I did. I jumped right on it. Next thing I knew, I'm on a plane. I'm on a plane to Portugal to pick up the boat. So what happened to Memphis was she ran aground. I thought she, it ran aground in Florida. It did. So it was, they were doing ops off the coast of Florida. 
I had a breakdown in communication, which is always, if things are going to fail, it fails, fails because communication, right? And they basically parked the, the boat on the beach off Hollywood, Florida. Why was uh, it in Portugal then? Well, bear with me here. So to, in order to fix repair, you know, affect repairs to the rudder and the screw and the stern planes and some of the underbelly of the boat, they, once they got it off the sandbar, they ordered her up the coast to Kings Bay and she pulled into Kings Bay surface transit, I think, up to Kings Bay and went into the dry dock in Kings Bay where they affected the repairs. And then instead of letting them go home, back up to Norfolk, they sent them to the med. <laughs> Shut yeah. up. It was <laughs> the med after that? Right. And there was a guy on the boat that had relieved relieved the ANAV that uh, had been uh, fired, taking the captain's mast on, uh, fired off the boat, uh, Al Kemery by name. And Al at the time was on the Albany, which was in uh, PCU Albany. It was pre-com unit Albany in the shipyard. So Al Kemery took over as the uh, initial ANAV on Memphis until I got there. So I had to get checked out of sub-school. The boat was fixed. And they sent her over to the Med in one of her first stops, and the Med was pulling into Lisbon. And uh, I flew over to Lisbon, and uh, there began the story of our time on Memphis together. So hold on a second, because I got to Memphis right when it was coming out of the shipyard, shipyard in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Right, right, right. How long was it there for then? Two uh, twenty. Yeah, well, okay, so, so it was there longer you, than it was supposed to be because it had a particular maintenance problem in the engine room that uh, didn't get done right, and that held us up coming out of the yards. And it ended up being the bane of their existence long after it came out of the shipyard because they had to put it in EB, I don't know if you remember that, to fix some of the stuff back in the engine room that wasn't right, which I can't mention. So... Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> It was in the shipyard for uh, 28 months, I think. Damn. And Kathy and the kids had moved up to Kittery. You know, by that time, we had the, the three. We had Annabelle, David, and Cameron. And uh, that was that was a, th a good a, a good uh, 28 months. We had, I, I love Kittery, you know, which is part of the reason why we moved back to New Hampshire, you know. So we it's had such a it's there. very I, beautiful. I was only state. up there for like 10 days. I got there right before the ship was pulling out and heading back to— right. Yeah. So, I mean, I had, I checked into Groton first and then they took me up to, they're like, yeah, there's no sense taking all your shit up right, here because right, right, you're going right, to be back right. down here in a couple of weeks. So I yeah. show up and everybody is exhausted, stressed, freaked sea out, trials. getting ready oh, yeah. for sea trials. And this is my first boat. And I'm like, Hey man, why is everyone so crazy? Like, this sounds like it's going to be pretty cool. Right. And people are like, shut the fuck up. kid. <laughs> you have no idea what you're talking about. This is going to suck out guys like Billy oh. Coons that are coming up. Oh. Like, hey, he's like the guy in airplane you know he's the pilot in airplane like hey do you like movies about gladiators you know say <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah billy coons he went on uh sorry he went on to be a uh commander commander bro. i think yeah, of course he was an nice seaman i think half right? those guys yeah he was a nice seaman but like there was uh a lot of those guys that we served with all went off and took commissions i mean like most of the guys that i trucked with uh, like Ryan Ogden, mm. um, he's a captain, I think now. Yeah, but I guess I, you know, I God love him. Uh, I just stayed the course, keeping the goat locker together, and, and but that uh, was definitely your thing. I mean, you were really good at that shit. When I showed up, I mean, even then, you saw other chiefs that were like, "Hey, man, what do you think got to do here?" Right. So I didn't realize that you had been on the Memphis the whole time. Yeah, yeah I was on Memphis through the entire overhaul. 
once we took it to sea, because you were, uh, you didn't go on the first deployment with us, so you No, left. I got off the boat and went to shore duty again for my second tour. How long were you on shore duty before, before you got called into Memphis? Oh, it wasn't even two years. Oh, shit. Okay, but you'd been there for enough, yeah. enough time. About okay. a year and a half or more, maybe eight, you know, a little over a year and a half, and then the call came, for, hey, you're going to need you to go to the Memphis. Okay. So. And then from the Memphis, you went to shore duty again? I did. I went to Group 2. And that's? Commander Submarine Group 2 in Groton. Okay. And I was um, basically the senior operations officer for uh, for my navigator, the, the actual operations officer. I was on the enlisted side. Paul Jerzak was the operations officer. Mike Gilmore was the communicator. What's Group 2? It's like a squadron of submarines? Well, it, it had purview over the boats in Groton and the submarines down in uh, – uh, you know, uh, some of the boats in, in Norfolk. Really? Yeah. Right. And, um, we, like how many, we would do like the local area submarine movement notes and the sub notes and stuff. And, uh, it was, a, it was pretty laid back duty. I mean, it wasn't very stressful at all. Yeah. And there was, how long uh, was that? Well, it was two years. Um, so the rest of the story there is, uh, there was a master chief serving at uh, group two that was the staff command master chief. And uh, he ended up getting out. Um, Were you a senior chief now? I was a senior chief at the time. So I, you know, uh, Joe Clow was the master chief for Admiral. Uh, Where did you make Admiral senior Buchanan chief? or Admiral Phages? Where did you make senior at? On the Memphis. I, say, I think right. I remember senior. So, uh, I volunteered to take over the staff command master chief duty, which really, it's a figurehead. You know, it was, but it still, it still had to make the staff schedule. I had to, you know, I worked basically right directly for the chief of staff, uh, Wayne Peters, Captain Peters, and uh, I had two admirals. I had Admiral Mel Phages and I had Admiral um, Bruce Paget, both wonderful men. Uh, leaders in their own right. Um, uh, but so then the call came from the detailer. It says, hey, um, I need you to rotate. Um, I want to send you to be chief of the boat on the USS Albuquerque. Hell yeah. <clears throat> right? And that was my chance. And I had just— Albuquerque's out of New London too, is it right? Or Groton? No. Uh, yeah, yeah. Albuquerque was out of uh, New London. But uh, she was getting ready to go to the yards. Getting ready to go into overhaul. Oof. So I um, finished up my chief of the boat qualifications and went on to be, went to the senior enlisted academy up in Newport. How long is that? Uh, I want to say that one was like 12 weeks. And it was cool. October to December. What do you learn? It was, it was wonderful. It would, some of the folks at the senior enlisted academy were at the very best of the best. They were kind of like the top guns of submarine. Sure. You know, so... Uh, <clears throat> no, I think I had, had, you know, so it's in Newport. It's a challenge. I mean, it's, it's leader, it's teaching leaders leadership. It's, but it's to the next level. Sure. You know, um, what do you, I mean, is it just, the, and the curriculum was worth, I don't know how many college credits. It was like worth a semester of credits, but you learn the, the pillars of leadership. You, you learn mentorship. You learn, you don't learn what you do is you hone your skills as a leader. Right, and you study history, naval history, and how the the best 
during periods of war, Vietnam, World War II, Korea, you learn how the leaders led their troops. And you hear some really inspirational, gut-wrenching stories. Um, and you've, you're given a mission. Basically, your mission is to take this crew and turn them into the best that they can be. And how are you going to do that? But do they bring in like people that were like cobs that turned ships around, you know, crews nope. around? Um, well, we had some ins in, you know, inspirational speakers come in and, uh, inspirational enough that I really don't remember who we, we heard. Oh, but I mean, I thought, like, but they were, you know, it, uh, it was a blur. I mean, it was well, 12 weeks of, and you know, you got, you talk about PT, you know, your team physical fitness is, is key. And, uh, we PT the living crap out of each other. We, every other day in the field, uh, field house doing these things called, uh, stations where they had the PT station set up. So you would do inverted sit-ups, and then you'd do benches, and then you'd do crunches, and then you'd do the— I didn't know senior oh, NCOs did any of those oh, things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought they were just in the goat and locker. It wasn't. Yard. No, no. And so, you know, they put you through the paces of the physical fitness stuff. Gotcha. And you had to pass that in order to graduate. Good. But they have a big dining in at the at the end of the— Where you get all the curriculum. You get all dressed in your—in this case, a little, mini a, a little mini metal dinner dress— and um, it was uh, some of the best. I keep saying some of the best, but they really were. Rick West, Mick Pond, was in our class. No kidding? Yeah, so Rick and I stay in touch. Uh, we went through the Senior Enlisted Academy together. So is he a chief petty officer of the Navy now? Or no, no, no. He was, he's been out for several years. What do you do uh, after that? That's like the tip well, of the you, tip of yeah, the spear. That's the tip of the spear, and you're basically going to retire at the end of that. And what do you do? You just go consult for companies about how to <clears throat> Yeah, I think he's bounced around as a consultant in some other jobs. Still inspirational leader. Uh, it was always fun when Rick would come to town, Master, the Mick Pond would come to town in Groton, and we'd have a chance to hook up. So that people the, that are listening that don't uh, uh, the corps, yeah. the MCPON is shorthand for the Master Chief Petty Officer of the Navy. Right. That's the most senior enlisted person Navy. in the entire U.S. Navy. Correct. Three and stars. I, yeah. Oh, I didn't know those yeah. dudes get three. So the Master Chief MCPON has three stars. That's All the other Master Chiefs have two. It's pretty gangsta, man. You guys get yeah. a third star. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I mean, I imagine that's, um, how do they even pick that? I mean, do the Master Chiefs vote on that together or some shit? No, I think that's pretty much picked by the CNO. By the Because the MCPON and the CNO's office are right there together. The well, party. that's what he is. He's like the Command Master Chief for the CNO, right? Yeah, he's the Command Master Chief for the CNO. And they traveled together. They Rick was on the MCPON, any MCPON, the MCPON today. Um, is that a cool job? They, they travel all the time. Is that They're a cool away job? Do you is think that's a, cool a good job? job? To be the McPond? That is one of the most respected positions. Oh, you know, and then you have the master sergeant of the, the you know, the master gunner, whoever in the army, then the air yeah, force. Yeah, he's got peers and theirs, And basically they're the command master chiefs for. They're like the, the enlisted joint chief of staff, right? Yeah, well, the, but they're, they're the chiefs, master chiefs and senior enlisted for the joint chiefs of staff. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah, I mean, uh, um, it's probably a pretty cool job, or is it like it's a very cool job? No, like let's be honest, like there are some jobs that are very self. Um, uh, we were talking about this last night, like being a CEO, being a CEO. You know, I there's jobs that are thankless as fuck, and, and there's a lot of jobs that suck. 
And uh, like I always ask people, I'm like, you have to punch a ticket though. Yeah. It's always worth some it. of them. It's you, worth it, but it's going to be you, a grind. You can't get to Nirvana without punching the ticket. You know, I, you, you, you got to have that ticket. And, yeah. Uh, some people you, don't do it. Well, and it's, it's a, it's goes back to, you can't demand respect, right? That'll get you in trouble every time. But by the way you treat people and lead people, you earn their respect. For sure. Yeah. I think, I think this is really good and it's really revealing because think about me, right? Do I, I never to, would. Do I have to think about you? <laughs> well, it's your fault why I am. You, my brothers, my dad, there's about a short list of people that I could blame. But my thing is, uh, I am, you know, we always grew up worrying about secondhand smoke, right? But I'm, I was the victim of secondhand leadership training, right? Mm -hmm. Meaning like, I just am around people that were formerly trained, like you guys, to where um, I was getting really good cliff notes, you know? So like, I didn't have to read the book because you guys were going and fucking put in the pick and ax work and then come back and then. So did the light bulb ever go off? I mean, was there ever a aha moment where you went, uh, now I get it? Yes. I could tell you exactly when it was because I have the story with my kids. You want me to tell you what it was? Yeah. Sadly, uh, I, I enjoyed being a sailor. I enjoyed the privileges that came with being a junior sailor. And what I mean, I mean, I'm, I mean like the, the lack of any expectations of me to be good at anything. Right. And that's a, you know, there's a serious conversation. Go ahead. You didn't know, but you did have some expectations, but I didn't know that. Right. <laughs> so, but I mean, I had, um, when you get to the fleet type of thing, all you want to do is go on your warfare pen and do something special and stand some watches and do some shit. And, and I'll tell you, um, the military does an amazing job of taking, you know, 40,000 people a month yep. and just training them to be ready to where in a short amount of time, they are significant and can bring value to a, a command. And it doesn't matter what branch or what, what your raid or MOS or NEC or EIAO is. They just do a good job of, of stopping and peeling everybody down to, you know, a common denominator. And then they build them up yep. and then send them back out. So now you're able to go learn. And I was that, right? And I end up uh, getting the fleet. And then I was able to really quickly figure out which people were not going to invest a second into watching me grow and develop. And those that uh, were yelling at me for a good reason, right? They weren't yelling. Um, they were I, emphasizing. <laughs> I think you forget how many times I got brought back. Well, you brought it upon yourself. You're really I was the victim of I mean, bad leadership. Let's go back to you just don't punch somebody in the side of the head just for shits and grins. Right? I didn't know that. I wasn't trained that. So I, I can was, tell by your ears. Come on. <laughs> well, I remember going to, uh, I don't know what I did, and I know I have no doubt I deserved it. And I wasn't really in a captain's mass, but I was standing in the wardroom in front of the captain and everyone that wore khakis on that ship. I remember that. Oh, yeah. And um, I remember... At the time, you know, I was always ranked pretty fair, fairly high, you know, for the things that I did. I was, I, I was a, um, a dig it, you know, sort of speak. Like I was doing all my shit to E9 when I was an E4. Like I was just trying to always be a, in the game. And I remember looking around and thinking like, why am I getting yelled at, man? I'm better than most of these other sailors. And I remember that the captain one day goes, so that's your fucking problem. He goes, yeah, you think that you're competing against other people. And what you failed is you're just really competing against yourself and you're losing every day. Is that Claude that said that to Aaron. Captain Byrne? And I just, what would have been cooler, I think, at that time? Because you also, I mean, you hit me in the gut before I walked in there and then he fucking delivered it and I walked out crushed and then you gave me the last blow and I was like, 
Why didn't those sons of bitches just take my rank and some money away? I'm happy to give up a little bit of liberty. I'd rather not hear how horrible, like how disappointed you guys were in me. And, and that changed me, right? Where I was like, I'll never compete against anybody ever again for the rest of my life. Somebody had to give you that hug. It was you guys. It was you. It was Baron. And I remember vividly looking at Wood and he could give two shits about me. He was a chief, not a bad guy, just not a chief that was the type of chief that I needed. And, um, I remember thinking, I'm like, you know what I needed it? Cause you, uh, you know, I didn't, I'm not gonna say I didn't give a shit what the captain <clears throat> thought, but the captain didn't really care about me. You know, like his job was the mission in the, in the ship. Your job was the crew and I was the crew. At so what I point like, did you realize the captain was telling you what we told the captain to tell you? Yeah. I never realized I told Ness now. That's how stupid I am. <laughs> Can we just, I think you need to lower your bar about uh, it. We, you know, we, he took us under his counsel a lot. Okay, because he didn't know what to do, I guess. So he's like, and, what, no, it's what not that he didn't know what to do. He's a commanding officer and he's a very smart man, but he's not used to dealing with yeah, these enlisted chumps. But a, he wanted our valued opinion. And opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one. Right? Sure, sure. But he wanted our recommendation. That sucked. That was the worst. And it was hard to give some recommendations that says, hey, Captain, give them to us. Let us bring them back to life, resuscitate them. That was you know? a hard. But I want a lesson to be taught to him because he's not going to get it unless. He hears some harsh words. And I think that's what you got. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember vividly, uh, you got to remember, right? I, um, <clears throat> you can't. My beer's fu- getting warm. I can't have that. Yeah, dude, that's a sin. To be on a boat like the Memphis and to be able to function, I would like to think that I'd only been on a boat. You've been on seven. So I don't know how the Memphis ranked in terms of uh, our tempo, but I felt like we did it. Uh, I did a lot. You did. And you did. I had amazing times. I you know, multiple deployments, got to do all kinds of cool shit. And, and I remember part of the reason, you know, people like, look, don't, I mean, if you're going to try to reenlist or stay that this is as good as it gets, it's just, you don't think you're going to get more of this, are you? Right. So, so this was your aha moment. This, the, the captain's mast, if you want to call it that. And then for people listening, captain's mast is, Basically, where you put a green tablecloth on the wardroom table. Wardroom is where the captain resides and hangs out. And that green tablecloth is a symbol of a legal judge, jury, jury, and executioner. Right. So uh, under the Uniform Code of Military Justice, a commanding officer can carry out non-judicial punishment, which is what you— put me in the brig with bread and water. Which is what you received, not bread and water, but but you received a pretty good ass chewing. That was, uh, right. um, I don't, yeah, that was a pretty prolific, but it wasn't, it 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 wasn't what I needed. It wasn't loud and vociferous. It was, it was pointed and there were some pointed barbs that we wanted to get across to you that said, Hey, listen, young man, you need to take your head out of your ass and, and come along. Right. So I would like to think like. You kind of had to be a little cocky and a little arrogant, especially on a boat like that where everyone was punching each other in the face sometimes, you know, but like, yeah. I, uh, I definitely needed to be humbled. That humbled the shit out of me. And to this day, like when I sit down and talk to my kids, I always remind them, I'm like, you're not competing against anybody else. You're only competing against yourself. And that's mm-hmm. where I learned that. And that was obviously from you guys. And then the other time was, uh, there was another interesting time where, uh, you uh, chewed me up and spit me out, but then build me back up to make sure that I wasn't broken and that I would find some, uh, <clears throat> you got, you guys had a good touch, right? My, and I got yeah, hit our, twice. Our intentions were not to, to destroy. Were you the son of a bitch that had me failed on my board too, or was that my own doing? Your, 
submarine qualification warfare? When I, when I did my first board, I was ready for my board in like month six, remember? Yeah. And you were a quick learner. You screamed through that call card. And I failed my board. And I was, you have to remember, right? These are all these guys that I admire and respect. You're all my heroes. I and failed I, my first qualification board. Well, I failed it. my first quartermaster of the watch board. Seaborn McCrory failed me. But there's reasons why, you know, like, like I didn't know until later when they're like, yeah, Kirk, we just needed you to slow the fuck down and appreciate, you know, like you're the worst thing they could have done is let me have my fish faster to where I would have been probably even more cavalier than I was at the time. And that's the last thing I needed. Well, it, we, so that's something that's not taken lightly, right? Um, that warfare humbling people. Yeah. That warfare pin is earned and there's a reason for it. If you can, if I can save your life, you damn well better be able to save my life. Yeah. And it's you've got to know that ship. And when you get to the ship, out. that's the, like people that don't know when you get to a submarine, like the fuck, they put a gun to your head and like, if you don't earn your warfare pin, what I, what do you have? 12 months, nine months, whatever it was then uh, the worst thing imaginable is going to happen to you. And that is where we ship you out to the surface fleet. Yeah. And I was like, that's the last thing that's I the want. the last thing you want. So I was like, I will study everything. I had RPMs out all the time. I was doing, I mean, I was just, I did. I cranked for not even, I think I cranked two well, days. Well, that's part of the reason why you probably failed your board because you had a reactor plant manual RPM out all the time. It's well, not an RPM. Do, you had, you, <laughs> well, you, I had, to stand you had the SSMs out. You had the ship service manuals out you were, learning. Were the, you there when I qualified chief of the watch as an E4? Terrifying. But I did. You did. But I only did it because an FT used to fuck with me and he was a E6. And uh, I knew if I stood chief of the watch that I could... Uh, have a senior watch over him and it was the only way that I could tell him what to go do after the watch. <laughs> did you ever stand the watch? I did. Wow. Actually, if you ask I don't me, remember that. So you were off the boat by then, but Mason was telling me last night, he goes, yeah, um, like the captain let me do that. And then he one day was like, have you ever thought about dive? And I said, would you let me do that? I mean, I, obviously I didn't qualify dive, but I did try. I stood some under instruction watches, but Mason was, he's like, yeah, I, I remember that. Well, yeah, I mean, it, so we... As much as we have a bad habit of uh, eating our young and spitting them out like rocks from time to time, we really shouldn't do that. Um, no, it's actually pressure testing and, is what's necessary. Yeah, but I felt like so, you guys were pressure testing me and trying to condition me to emotionally be able to handle the magnitude of stress and pressure I'd be under sure. based on the duties and responsibilities. Well, that's the thing, duties and responsibilities. And you're, you know, you're responsible for the safety of that crew no matter what, if, no matter sure. how you... You, you can't think of it any other way. Once you get your dolphins, once you get your warfare pin, hey, you're the fish snizzle. I mean, you're it, right? And you've you're you have to be able to apply that knowledge on that those oh. submarine systems to make the whole thing work, right? So the 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 importance that's placed on any warfare pin uh, is to to make sure you know what the frick you're doing. Well, it should you know, be special. And let's not hurt anybody doing it. It should be hard. It should the be struggle hard. should be real to get it. You have to callous your brain mm -hmm. and, and know a lot of stuff. And um, the crew has to trust you, right? And um, they have to respect oh. you. Yeah. So those couple aha moments that you had. I had two still, big ones. Still with all that and the training and, and leadership that you had, you still decided to get out of the Navy. So... Uh, uh, it was under the advice of a chief. You know, when I was going to get in, there was a coaching and guidance they gave me. And they're like, what's your intent? What's your long-term objective? And and when I explained it, they're like, then this is what you're going to do. And I did everything they told me to do to the T. 
and I got out and 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 did exactly what they told me to do after I, that. You know, this is so. I, I've been looking forward to this conversation because shit, you're. Uh, I know, right? <laughs> um, you're the way you had those years on the boat, and I think you're probably on the boat. What three years? Three and a half. Yeah, three and a half. I I guess when I left the boat, um, I was hoping you were going to stay in because we had I had invested a lot in you, and I. I thought you would have stayed the course and, and stayed Navy. Thankfully, things have worked out to where, holy crap, look at you now, right? You're the CEO of Overwatch. You um, have built a team of professionals and former veteran, veterans. That's impressive, Kurt. And that you can't, can't deny that, yeah, probably some of our tutelage of you along the way helped. But when you say... Hey, when I got started out here, you got to come out and see it. It's all because of you. I can tell you, no, it's not. It's because of you. You so, had, in that brain of yours, I think you knew all along at some point what you were going to, what you wanted. I think that I didn't really know what I wanted till I had cancer, mm. but I know that I, I, I was learning really quickly what I didn't want. Sure. And for me... <clears throat> I, I loved being in the Navy. I did not get out because I didn't like it. Were you active duty when you were diagnosed with cancer? Nope. I actually was getting ready to go back in with yeah. a commission because I had, by then I had graduated college. Yeah. And I was like, hey, man. Um, For some reason, I thought you got medically discharged. I don't know why yeah. I did in my brain. But I was going to go back in. Uh, I uh, After I graduated college, I uh, started reaching out to the ROTC guys mm -hmm. and the OCS guys. And... Um, and I was looking for sponsors and sure. uh, I thought I'd, I thought I'd have a good run at it, but I wasn't a hundred percent positive that that's what I needed. I just thought that that was what I wanted. And really what I learned is I just missed the culture that I had. And I spent my entire career as a civilian trying to recapture what I had on the Memphis. Capture lightning in a bottle again. Yeah. And Hard I realized, I realized that was never going to happen. And, uh, Every few years I would, I think that I learned a lot of shit that was really valuable and really important to me, uh, in the military. I think that I had an advantage in the military, uh, over most of my peers because I was born and raised in a home mm. by a guy that was once former enlisted and then became an officer, right? He got a bachelor's from Boise State, a master's from OU in the military. He was a big believer that Uncle Sam should pay for all of our colleges, you know? So he was very, you know, intentional in how he was ex mm. Let me manage your expectations. If you think I'm just, you're going to be enlightened uh, uh, because I'm going to pay for you to go fuck off for four years of college. Right. You are out of your mind, right? He's like, this is what your options are. <clears throat> but he had taught me things that when I showed up to basic or when I showed up the military uh, for the first time, some people were listening to things and, and I've been listening to that every weekend, you know, type of thing. So I acclimated easily and I, that was an advantage. When I, when I was at the Memphis, there are guys like you and there were guys like Lieutenant Ward who I uh, did not like and did not want to talk to, but I had unequivocal respect for. The thing that was, about- That was a funny conversation last night. Well, listen, you guys were all assassins, right? And you guys are at the, imagine I'm at this boat and like I'm in sub school or whatever. And they're like, which, you know, they're ranking you and like yeah, you yeah. pick and all the instructors that know the fleet are like, dude, 
if you could get on this boat, that's a powerhouse boat. That's where you want to be. So, I'm sitting, <laughs> so I'm sitting there hoping that the guys ahead of me are like married and want to go to Pearl Harbor or something. I end up getting the boat and, and I, uh, I'm around all these, I mean, I think there was a lot of talent. There was a lot of talent on that boat. It did not lack genius. Right. So I was like I'm around all these amazing people. There were some that were pieces of shit, but the most of them were really great. And it was just my job to figure out which ones were which and absorb what I could and sure. deflect the others. So, you know, I have this incubator of knowledge that comes from you and the Lieutenant Wards and the Scott Graffs and, you know, the Eric Reese's. I mean, there's a lot of guys that had a profound impact on me. That's good. And, and as we should. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, you guys are senior NCOs or, yeah. you know, JMOs, and that's your job, right? Is to help people like me that have no idea. Um, and I remember later on, I get out of the military and I'm kind of wandering around and I had at least a skill set to fall back onto using my hands or, you know, that you have all these guys that are pouring things into my ear hole all the time that are actually over the course of time taking root. And I think by the time that I had cancer, everything shifted to top dead center and I was able to fall back again on the things that I really defaulted and learned either from this, you know, the home I grew up in, the wrestling rooms I trained in, yeah, you know, the, uh, the crew I served with. And I remember my dad being some, you know, he's a little bit worried as you know, your father would be. And I was like, dad, I feel like I've been training for this my whole life. You know, like I'm good. I got this. I'm going to figure out what's up. I and you like, beat oh. Well, I was, yeah. But at the time, you know, you're just living with your, your expectations are, I want to be here in two years from now. How do I guarantee that I'm here in two years from now? And my whole life mindset shifted to that. Right. So when that happens, everything else is compressed. My poor kids, right? Cause now my level of, in, of, um, intent mm -hmm. with them is much more amplified. So they have to kind of endure more because right yeah. I'm like, look, you're going to get it all in the next two years, just in case. But then, you know, you back off and you throttle those things. You over rotate it's called. Right. But again, everything that I did, I would just go back, like you said, into my toolbox and I'd be like, okay, I remember when, uh, you know, chief Lee was telling me, uh, you know, use this, but if it doesn't work, then use the hammer. Right. You know, <laughs> Cause you were always uh, like, you guys were very assertive guys. Like standing, I, I only knew Mason Ward because when, when we'd have, you know, trees and horses or whatever, and we were getting ready to be inspected, there was a watch bill that mm. was those guys. And I always stood watch with him because he was the, I'm not going to say he, uh, we had great officers in my humble opinion. He was the best submarine officer we had on that ship. Hmm. And there was no, a couple. Yeah. But I mean, like if he was driving the ship, like if shit was going down, everyone's like, dude, I hope that this guy or this guy are, are at the con. Right. Right, right. And, <clears throat> and he was one of them, but he was former enlisted and he was, uh, he had a very high standard for everybody. And if you, uh, if you've had any daylight between him and that standard, you would feel it with whatever he would bring at you because he yeah, could pull I, it. He was smarter than I loved. I, I loved Mason, uh, Lieutenant Ward. He was an ass. Um, He's awesome now. But his, when he, he stood awesome. officer of the deck, he drove the ship. He was and the he, he did it really well. He was fantastic. I, you know, remember, I stood navigation supervisor, right? So I was in that control room, and we were, I think, uh, myself and the other navigation supervisor, Oscar Gangsus, uh, the nav. Gangsus, I remember that guy. Uh, and I think we were doing nine-hour shifts. Um, Service transit unit? Yeah, yeah. Well, we were just even underway. Um because we went into that port and starboard battle stations bullshit. Yeah, yeah. You know, where uh, half the crew on, half the crew off. That was crazy. So, uh, but when Mason was officer of the deck, 
He just knew that it would you be knew good. we were in good hands. There was a few of them that had their shit on lockdown, right? And I remember not wanting to stay and watch them because I knew that he, uh, I knew that when I was off watch, the ship was okay, you know. But um, but he was very intense, right? And I was stunned that he even knew my first name. I ran into him here in Austin, <laughs> Texas, at a sushi bar, at a sushi restaurant, <laughs> and he's like, someone's like Kirk, Kirk, and then you know, someone's like, oh, fell, and I turn around, I'm like, it's almost like, is that Lieutenant Dan? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of yeah. Dan. No, but so I was. I mean, surprised. so I'm. You know, I, you had good officers. Yeah, we were. You were. You were fortunate, uh, and I was fortunate to be. What was it about you our, that how our decided to invest in me? I saw something in you. Uh, I know that sounds colloquial and sounds like a line of horseshit, but it's true. I mean, when uh, after talking to you and hearing your background. We had some common ground. We both wrestled. Uh, you know, we were both we both like sports. Uh, sure. I knew Eric liked you. Eric Reese liked you, and I knew you uh, mingled well with the other guys, Dave Brooks and uh, <laughs> uh, who else? Uh, Johnson. Johnson. And um, yeah, you 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 had the ability to to meld into different groups, and you were you were a nice good young sailor you were uh, so i saw in you probably a little bit of what i saw in myself when i was coming up through the ranks i saw that you had the desire and you had the the the, the earning to want to i can remember when you said hey i want to be in your division you know i don't want you to teach me navigation so uh, i just wanted i liked how hard those those teams were working and i wanted to work hard you know like that's the only thing i knew that, how to do was work hard. there were some redeeming qualities in you still are to this day uh, so let's, let's let me go back um i said i was on seven submarines and as you were talking i was thinking is it really seven and i think it is seven so james monroe chicago rick over uh then i did well memphis was up here uh, up in the yards i did some underways on Baton Rouge and the USS Boston. So there's one, two, three. So two other right? 688s. Yeah, two other 688s. And then finally ended up on the Albuquerque. And that command tour, the command master chief tour, uh, was special. And it, I mean, it's good to be king. I say that all the time. But Did you pair coming, well with that off, with the commanding officer? Did you already know oh, him? Oh, yeah. No, I, no, I didn't know him. Uh, when I got to the boat, uh, Jerry Burroughs, Admiral Burroughs, uh, was... The commanding officer, and he was just a delightful sweetheart of a man, uh, but a good commanding officer, and he could he could bring the lumber if he needed to, right? <laughs> and then uh, Stuart Munch relieved him. Uh, kind of a funny story, and uh, Admiral Munch, forgive me for telling this story, but uh, when uh, the Admiral Commander Munch showed up, I had to go pick him up at the BOQ. We were in the yards, and I took the ship's van down picked him up and um, i knew something was not exactly right he wasn't happy but he no he was happy he was just i was looking at him I'm like something's something's missing what's going couldn't put my finger on but i said ah maybe it's just he's the new captain and, and a new glow and something different you know and it, so remember this is after 9 11 and we had to get back into the shipyard down on the controlled industrial area the cia we had to go through a, an inspection tent where they had to open the engine compartment and all the doors, and they ran the mirrors under the truck. This sniffer dogs came by, whatever. 
And one of the security guards who was former Navy enlisted came over to me. His name was Cam. And he came over and he goes, do you notice anything different about your captain? I'm thinking, yeah, I did. What's going on? He goes, he doesn't have any caller devices on. He'd forgotten his caller device. That's what it was. So I got back in the van, shut things up, got in the van. I said, Captain, I got to take you back to your barracks room. Oh, why? What's wrong? I said, you forgot your caller device. <laughs> and the look on his face was priceless. But another a wonderful gentleman, uh, I enjoyed my time on Albuquerque with him as the commanding officer more so than any any uh, any submarine I've ever been on. What that guy, did he turn out to go be an admiral too or? Who Munch? Yeah, you're you're a CEO. Munch. Yeah. Okay, still he's, in or? Oh yeah, okay. he's he's the one that's sink a snav. You're basically is that a three star? Yeah, what's yeah, three. You know, he's you know he's basically the commander chief. Don't look at me yeah. like I'm an idiot because I don't hang out with I'm three stars and four you know stars. What? No, that's the only big time master chief shit, man. Dude. Like, eat nothing's. We can fetch coffee for them. I have failed. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Now, now we're finally getting somewhere. <laughs>